2, 1 Peter chapter 2, in that song that we just sang, I love how it says, he is not a distant stranger, he can be your closest friend. I mean, what a privilege that is that we have to, uh, to know him personally, and then even when your pathway disappears, when your joy gives way to tears, when you're plagued with doubts and fears, trust his word that God always keeps his promises, uh, that he has never failed once to keep his promise, and he will continue to do so. First Peter chapter 2, and I will begin reading this morning in verse 1, and we will read down through verse 17. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness unto his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word this morning, we ask that your spirit would guide each of us. Lord, thank you for your word that we have the privilege of, of turning to it today, knowing that it is true, uh, knowing that it is living, and that you desire to use it in our lives to shape us to become more like you. Lord, I pray that you would remove any distractions that there might be so that we could focus on you and the truths of your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We want to focus this morning on this passage and living for what matters. Living for what matters in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36 says, What does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? Um, I've shared with some of you 
A couple weeks ago, I read an article um, that was written on Tiger Woods. Is everyone familiar with Tiger Woods, professional golfer? Um, He's been in the news a lot, some positive, a lot negative. Um, But it was talking about Tiger Woods and uh, really talking um, about how his father had impacted his life. And the article was written because 10 years ago, um, it had been 10 years since his dad had passed away. And at that time when his dad died, Tiger Woods was the best golfer in the world, and there was no debating it. Um, he was in tournaments. He was just killing the competition. Um, and he was so far ahead of them that in a lot of tournaments, it wasn't, it wasn't even close. And you just, everyone just knew he was going to win. After his father passed away, um, he began to have some injuries, some struggles. Uh, then shortly after that, a few years later, uh, it was around Thanksgiving, that it was in the news that uh, there had been an accident. Um, something had happened with, with his wife over Thanksgiving. What had happened was she found out that he had been having multiple affairs. And... Uh, their, their marriage, because of that, ended, and he and his wife had had two small kids. And the article was going through and showing he had had a good relationship with his dad. And after his dad passed away, it seemed to really kick in. All of a sudden, he began to search for something to, to satisfy. He even, his dad had been in the military, so Tiger Woods had always had a fascination with that. He even, those that were close to him, knew he was thinking of giving up the game of golf altogether and uh, was trying to decide if he wanted to join the Navy in hopes of becoming a Navy SEAL. Now, I, I share that with you because many people, if they were to look at Tiger Woods' life, would say, man, that guy has had it all. He has been at the top of his game. Um, he was and is one of the greatest golfers that has ever lived. He has made millions, maybe even billions of dollars uh, because of golfing, because of um, publicity and all these things. Uh, He was married to a supermodel. He had two kids. He had, boy, everything was going good for him. But what stuck out to me in this article was that here was somebody that had all these things but was searching because he was, could not find satisfaction. And it, it kind of broke my heart reading it, seeing here's someone that uh, a lot of people look to that in reading the article, you got the sense that he was miserable. And I thought back to when we had Mark Cahill come to our church, and he shared that he had the opportunity one time to witness to Tiger Woods. And so since reading that article, it's really brought me, I'm going to try to remember to pray for him, that maybe what Mark Cahill shared with him years ago, that he would remember and come to know satisfaction in Christ. But there in Mark, that verse, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world? Tiger Woods had the whole world, but yet he was still lost. So in this passage we read, and in verse 11 is where we're we're focusing, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners, and pilgrims or strangers and pilgrims that 
you abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. We really, in reading this passage, we see the battle of the soul that's going on. Not only um, as a follower of Christ that there's a battle going on, but then we see later on in these verses that in trying to win the world, the battle of the soul that's going on. So first of all, we must start out with that clearly you must be born again. You must be born again. And I don't want to just fly over this and just brush over this because we know, okay, yes, we need to be born again for for us to even attempt to to battle the flesh. But we are reminded here in verse 9 and 10 that Peter reminds them that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, his own special people that you proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he's reminding them that you have been called from darkness into his light. And if you are here this morning and you say, yes, I know Christ is my personal savior. Do you still take joy in the fact that although you once were in darkness, that now Christ has saved you and you are walking in the light? This was important that Peter was reminding them of this before he gets down to verse 11. He says in verse 10, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy that you've come to that point where he said, I know that I have sinned. I know that I have broken God's commands, that I have rebelled against him. And if I stay in my sinfulness, if I don't do anything about it, I'm going to perish. And you've come to that point where you say, I know that I need Christ's payment, what he did on the cross. And you surrender, you submit to him and receive that, and you trust in him alone for salvation. So we, it must begin there, the salvation of our soul. But then in verse 11, he says, and he refers to the believers as sojourners or strangers and pilgrims. The word pilgrim here uh, means alongside the house or uh, not pertaining to the house, but coming alongside. It refers to someone living in a foreign land. Uh, The term stranger refers to a visitor making a brief stay, um, passing through a country or traveling, moving around within the land. Um, So Peter says, We are to be travelers, we are to be pilgrims, we are to be strangers. Now, if you travel at all, and even sometimes within our our own country here, you can travel places and you feel like a stranger, don't you? Have you ever had that feeling? I know uh, when we, a few years ago, when the tornadoes hit Joplin, we took the teens down there and they spoke a different language down there. And we felt like strangers because we had trouble understanding. They maybe had trouble understanding us. But you go places and it doesn't take long for you to feel, hey, this is not my home. I don't belong here. Maybe there are things about it that you enjoy that you like, but it is not your home. Um, We do not have a lasting city, but are seeking a city to come. And as Christians, this world is not to be our home. 
we know that our true home is in heaven. So as a stranger, we are to live in a way that as that song even saying probably has come to mind, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. We can acknowledge that and we can accept that, but on in our daily lives, are we living as if this world is not our home? Are we, are we living for our eternal home? Um, in good times and in bad, this world is not my home. Um, I think a lot of times as believers, when we're really struggling with something, or maybe when we're going through a difficult time, or maybe when we have lost a loved one, we can say, this world is not my home, we're living for, for heaven. But when things are going the way that you want them, maybe this next week, everything will just fall into place for you. Do you still live with the mentality of, I am just a pilgrim here. I am just a stranger. This is not my permanent residence. With the idea that so many of you agreed that you've been in places where you felt out of place. Do you feel as a, as a follower of Christ, this is not my permanent home? Um, as you're traveling and you go places, there are times that you don't fit in. Now, do you try to be different when you go to those places? I know when I've traveled various places and, and I realize, man, I don't, I don't really fit in here. Do I try to not fit in more? No, of course not. But you don't have to try to be different. You just don't. That's not your home. You're not comfortable there. So as followers of Christ, it's not that we need to say, I need to make sure I'm as different as possible. No, that's not the goal is to try to be as different as possible. The goal is, if I'm following Christ and walking with him, this world is not going to be all about me. It's not, I'm not going to fit in. So do you see that this world is not your home in the way that you dress? in the way that you talk, in the priorities that you have this next week? Or is it all about my desires and what I want? Peter says that we are to be pilgrims and strangers. So as a stranger, this world is not my home. And with that, I need to remember to travel light. Now, here this morning, I can look down and see Martine and Patricia. Now, they are dual citizens, right? But this isn't really your home, is it? No. They might be comfortable here, but their home is in South America. And I guarantee you, they didn't bring all of their belongings with them when you came, did you? What, probably packed a couple suitcases full? And they could not fit everything with them. They know that all of their belongings are back home. They're traveling light. And then their parents who are traveling from church to church probably have an even smaller bag that they take with them. When we are traveling, when we are pilgrims, we need to travel light. That means not being weighed down by the things of this world. Sometimes you have to leave some things behind because, and you know that they are at your home, they are safe. Howard Hendricks said, most people think that they are in the land of the living right now, heading toward the land of the dying. But the truth is, 
We are in the land of the dying now, heading toward the land of the living. It's all about our focus. Are we focused on this life or are we focused on the life to come? So we see that we are strangers and pilgrims. And he says, being strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul. That there is a battle going on, a war. To abstain means, means to hold back, hold away from, to hold, your, hold yourself back from it. Um, it shows a sense of carefulness. You can, it's the idea of you are walking through a minefield knowing that there is danger always present. The, the picture that he is painting is that I know, even though I am a child of God, even though I have the spirit dwelling within me, I know I also have the flesh there. And that there is always that temptation to follow the flesh instead of follow the spirit. That there is that, that danger always present. Now, if we were honest, do we wake up every morning and think, you know what, today I know is going to be a dangerous day. Today I have the opportunity whether I'm going to Surrender to the flesh or surrender to the spirit? Do we wake up thinking, I need to hold myself back. I need to make sure I am stiff-arming, abstaining from the flesh. The flesh means, the fleshful lust that he's referring to here means um, our strong sinful cravings. Anything that draws us away from our fellowship with God. Yielding to the flesh can manifest itself in various ways. It can, it can be in immorality or impurity or sensuality or idolatry or enmity and strife or jealousy or outbursts of anger or disputes or dissensions or factions or envying or drunkenness or carousing. And that's what Galatians chapter 5 tells us. So maybe, maybe you've been going throughout and you realize all of a sudden, you, ex- you get angry about something. In that moment, we were not abstaining from the fleshly lust, but we embraced it instead. So this idea that he is saying is, as strangers and pilgrims, you are to be living differently than the world. You are to be, the, you're not supposed to be comfortable here. You are supposed to be on guard. You are supposed to be watching out, abstaining from the lust of the flesh. Um, It is a constant battle between our desires and our uh, looking to our spiritual home. Only when we get to heaven will we finally be at peace with this. That's one of the reasons why heaven is so glorious that we can look forward to finally there's going to be a day when we are at peace. When it is no longer I have to com- constantly be thinking, oh, what is this desire? Am I, am I surrendering it? Am I crucifying it? So we should abstain for two reasons we see here in this passage. One is for the spiritual well-being of our soul. He says, beloved, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul. But then on top of that, He says you should abstain for effective testimony. Going on in verse 12, he says, Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works 
which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. So that by abstaining from these fleshly lusts, it is an effective testimony. Others will look at it and say, although I was speaking evil against you, by your good works, they will glorify God, is what this verse tells us. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 14, it says, But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. It doesn't say get rid of most of them. It says make no provision. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, it says walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So there is a battle that is going on. Am I going to surrender to the flesh or am I going to be obedient and surrender to the spirit? He says in in verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. And in verse 11, the flesh that war against the spirit. The word war there is a military term that is talking about a long campaign. It is not referring to a one-time battle, but it is referring to something that is constant, that is continuing on and on and on. Now, I wish it said, okay, there's going to be a one-time battle, and if you get victory, it's over with. But we know that that's not true, that the battling of the flesh is a constant battle. And in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, fleshly lust um, are personified as an army of rebels who intend to capture or enslave or destroy the human soul. So the, the picture that he's painting is that there is an enemy that seeks to enslave and capture the human soul. It seeks to destroy. So therefore, we are not supposed to surrender or give them any advantage or anything that will help them in their assault. So as you think about this, this coming week, I am not supposed to give them any ground that will make it more difficult for me to be obedient to the spirit. That means testing every thought. This thought that I'm thinking right now, is that glorifying to God? Is that pleasing to him? Is that strengthening my ability to defend against the the flesh and the lusts of the flesh? Or is this something that is weakening my defense? So he says that we are to stand firm, that we are to be obedient. And then he says that we should live a life to please God, but that others would be drawn to him. In verse 12, having your conduct honorable, among the Gentiles. The word conduct here means that your behavior or your lifestyle would be such that it would be honorable among the Gentiles or among the heathen, so that they would look at your life and that it would be pleasing to them, that our lives would be excellent, that they would be pure, that they would be beautiful, so that it would be something that would be desired in our business that we conduct, in our home, at church, in our relationships when we go to the store, in our dealing with even government officials, in our speech, in our thought, in our action, that it should be 
one that is honorable, that is desirable, because it is far superior. Now, examining your life personally, is my life one that when others examine it, that they would say, you know what, your lifestyle is one that is very honorable. Man, I can see from your good works that you you serve a great God. I don't know how I don't know how you do it. Or what do you think that your neighbors would say about your life? What would even your family say about your life? Comes to mind the life of Daniel. How when they came and they examined Daniel's life that they they were trying to find fault with him. And it says that they could the only thing they could find was concerning Daniel and his God. Man, when I think of my life, and if they were to examine and, and look at it closely, would they come to the same conclusion? Man, we're gonna have to find something between between him and his God because that's the only area that we can find. So what if they were to examine your life? What would they find? Am I living a life that is pleasing to God so that when others look at it, they are drawn to him? Not drawn to me because in and of myself is no good thing, but that they are drawn to him. That I'm showing them a far superior way. In Ephesians 2 and verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath foreordained that we should walk in them. The good works that refers to here in verse 12, that when the evildoers see your good works, they may glorify God. It is an act of mercy done in the name of our Heavenly Father that brings joy to the receiver and glory to God. So is your life characterized by good works? Are you doing them in the name of our Heavenly Father? They bring joy to the one receiving them. And God is glorified in first Timothy chapter six and verse 18. It says that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate in Titus two, verse 14. It says who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous or ready to do good works. Now, so. These verses here in First Peter chapter 2 that we're looking at, what is, the, what is the main point that he's driving across here? He's saying, you have been called out. You have been chosen. Now as a follower of Christ, it is not about you, but it is about growing and pleasing God. It is about realizing that your home is not here. That this isn't the best. Your home is in heaven. Live like you're going home. Live like you're in the process of going home. So you may not have all the comforts here, but that's okay because this isn't your home. Abstain from fleshly lust. Put them aside. Get rid of them. Stiff arm them. Do whatever is necessary to push them away. 
Keep them away from you because they war against your soul. They desire to drag you down. They desire to ruin your influence. They desire to, to kill any testimony that you might have. Put them down. Get rid of them. And then be zealous of good works. Be doing good works so that even though the Gentiles may speak evil and call you an evildoer, and at this time the Christians were facing all sorts of, of slander from the outside world, um, you know, that they, they were being accused of, of sacrificing children and doing all these, these things that are just absurd, that even though they may speak of you as an evildoer, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God. So he's saying, even though you may live, and they may say all sorts of evil against you falsely, that by your good works that they can't deny the glory of God. So what is a good work? It is one that is consistent with Scripture. Um, And that's why we need to be obedient to 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show yourself approved. That we need to be students of the word. Um, Is this action that I'm about ready to do? It may seem like a good thing, but is there anywhere that it might go against what the word of God tells me? But then a good work is one that is done with the right motive. I don't know about you, but I've done things that were good things, but my motives were all wrong in doing them. Even... Even in, in the home, trying to, trying to serve in the home, I can do it with an attitude of, oh, I hope that they recognize so they can say, man, what a good job. Thank you so much for doing that. And my motives are all wrong. I often think back to uh, being, being at junior camp. And uh, Jeff Hall was the camp director at that time. And we must have had a lot of garbage around the campground because he said, you know, if we see you picking up garbage on your own and, and doing it without anyone asking you, we'll reward you with something from the canteen. So I heard that, man, free candy from the canteen. You can't beat an offer like that. So there I saw and there was cups laying around and, okay, I'll go pick those up. I'm looking to see if anybody's watching, hoping that somebody, you know what? My motive was all wrong. I wasn't doing it because it was the right thing to do, because I saw a need and I was stepping up. I was doing it because I was hoping to get something out of it. So our good works need to be done with the right motives. And to finish this story, I didn't get anything free from the canteen. So I stopped doing it. I just quit. No. But my motives were wrong. And then what happened? It led to disappointment. Because I didn't go in with the right attitude of, Hey, I'm just trying to meet a need here. I'm trying to, I'm going to have a servant's heart. Because my motives were wrong, then it led to disappointment. Am I, a good work is one that honors authorities that God has placed in my life. It doesn't overlook them, but it honors. Am I going to, in doing this, am I, is it going to show bad on any authorities that God has placed in my life? And then lastly, a good work is one that blesses the one that receives it. it is, is it something that is needed? Um, maybe it's not what they would have chosen, but is it something that is needed? Um, just because it's nice to do, 
doesn't mean that it will be a blessing. Um, so is it something that that they need? Maybe it's an area that by giving it to them, you're enabling them. Maybe it's something that they needed to work for. So stopping and following the Spirit's leading, is this something that is needed? So today I just want to close with, if someone were to come and examine your life, would they say, here is a pilgrim who is here, but this is not their eternal home. I can see that from looking at their life. They are living for eternity. I can see by their good works that they love God and are following him. Hopefully, each of us can can look and see that. Because remember, James 1, verse 22, reminds us that we must be doers of the word and not hearers only. We have heard, but now are we going to do? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that as good and as nice and as beautiful as this world is at times, thank you that the eternal home that we look forward to, uh, we know is far superior. Lord, we look forward to the day that uh, we can be with you, that we are no longer having to battle the flesh, but we know perfect fellowship with you. What a glorious hope that that is, a, a joy to think about. Lord, help us to have this view in mind that we are pilgrims, that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And with that being the case, that we would not get weighed down with the things of this life. Lord, you have placed us here. You have uh, placed each of us in different areas that we might be a blessing, that the unsaved might be able to look and, and see the good works that, that we are doing and that they may glorify you. Lord, as we go this week, may we look for opportunities to do good works, that our motives would be right in doing them, that we would be doing them for a love of you out of a servant's heart, and that it wouldn't be about getting praise for us. Lord, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are working in each of our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.